I'm glad you guys are here. There's two things that I got to talk about um, here at the beginning. One, Happy Mother's Day. That's awesome. Um, I'm glad your mothers are here. We'll get back to Mother's Day. But it doesn't happen very often um, that it happens on a Sunday. But 23 years ago, today, April and I got married. 23 years ago. So because, because I have a mic on and it's now on and you can now hear me um, with that, I have the opportunity to um, say um, congratulations for 23 years. Wow, you're amazing. Um, and what she has put up with, with me, but also biggest fan, um, great supporter. So thank you. She, she, she knows I can't talk about stuff like this without crying in front of others, but some of you know her, some of you know my wife. If you don't, um, the best description that I think that you can get is if you were to turn into your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 31 and read that, you would find a description of April. Very true. She is also a great mom to our two girls, and my mom has been a great mom um, to me over the years. She has taught me many things. She has taught me about foresight, thinking ahead, right? Make sure you wear clean underwear in case you're in an accident. <laughs> Important stuff. She taught me about logic. If you fall out of a tree and break your neck, don't come crying to me. Logic is important. If you don't, what about this one? Time travel. Did your mom ever say this? Time travel. If you don't straighten up, I'm going to knock you into the middle of next week. I don't know how it works, but she said it. Contradictions. Shut your mouth and eat your dinner. <laughs> which usually came a snide comment back from me, which usually came something else. Well, will you look at the dirt on the back of your neck? She taught me about contortionism um, with that. She was an acting coach. Act like you have some sense, would you? Um, or Genetics. You're just like your father. And it was never in a good way, right, with that. Um, she also taught me about religion. My mom taught me about religion. You better pray that comes out of the carpet. <laughs> Encourage my prayer life. I did this a couple years ago. I, we, were, we were chatting, and, and I said, you know, I remember all the spankings. My mom was good at that, by the way. Um, my dad wasn't the one that would spank. My mom would, and she was really good at it. And I think I got more than my brother and sister combined. I received more of those. But I couldn't remember anything I ever did wrong to deserve it. So I asked the honest question, what did I ever do? To, I remember the spankings. I don't remember what I ever did to get those. And she just rolled her eyes and wouldn't answer the question. <laughs> so I don't know what it was. But hey, today we're starting a new series called um, Old School Prayer. And our goal is to just jump back into the Old Testament with some of these. Now, I know Jesus taught us a prayer. He taught us how to pray, and he said, when you pray, and he gave us this example. But there are so many examples throughout the Bible that we can learn from. Some great prayers, some great people that prayed that we can jump back to and say, well, how did they do it? What lessons can we learn from them and their prayers? So today we're going to talk about a woman named Hannah and her prayer. Her prayer as a mom, her prayer as a woman, and what we can learn from that. So before we jump into Hannah's story, though, and I want you to go there. If you have a Bible, if you don't, if you have your phones and a Bible app, I'd love for you to get to 1 Samuel chapter 1. This is where we're going to be. 1 Samuel chapter 1, and we're going to walk through it verse by verse and, and learn from her. But before we get to this story, I need to give you just a little bit of background. It's like this. Our English Bibles, so the ones all of you read, um, whether it's on your phone or a book, your English Bibles, um, they have the book of Ruth coming after Judges. So in the Old Testament, as you go through from Genesis through and Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 
However, in the Hebrew Bible, so when we look at it chronologically and we're thinking about the time period and what's happening through this, um, 1 Samuel follows immediately after Judges. And it's important to see some of this because it's important then to know the, the context that we're in and the setting that's happening and what's going on at this time. So it goes Joshua, Judges, and 1 Samuel. And when you get to 1 Samuel chapter 1, this is important information to know. Because the nation of Israel had been torn apart by a lack of leadership and persistent wickedness. It was just a bad place to be. And according to Judges chapter 21, this is why we need to see this. In Judges 21 verse 25, it says, In those days Israel had no king, and everyone did as they saw fit. Which happens when you have a lack of leadership, when there's no one there, when there's no one taking charge of something, um, it, and everyone does as they see fit. It doesn't go very well. It doesn't work very well, and we can get off track very easily. Well, the nation of Israel was often oppressed by the, the other nations around it. And God would come along and he would appoint a judge, a leader of those people. And their freedom would come, but it generally lasted as long as that judge was alive. And as long as that judge was a good judge. On top of that, you see there's, there's many judges like Samson who had some fatal flaws. Um, spiritual decay was a part of this, and it was always connected with the absence of a king or a bad king. So we get to 1 Samuel in this, and we're seeing something going on. We're introduced to a woman named Hannah. But Hannah's important. She becomes the mother of a prophet and a judge who won't just change Israel, but she actually changes our own history. We can see how she changes what we're doing today because of what she did then. And we make this connection. Um, it's easy, though, for us. I, I know I've done this before. I look at people in the Bible, and I think all oh, the people of the Bible, they're, they're amazing, right? They made it to the Bible. They're in the Bible. They've got to be great um, in who they are. And it's hard for us to relate to them because we don't see ourselves like that. Their culture was different. Their setting was different. They must be amazing because they made it to the Bible. But actually... There's a lot of stories in here just about everyday people. They're, they're everyday people. This is who this is about. And so we've got to, at times, think about them as real people with real issues and how we can relate to them and what they're going through. So 1 Samuel um, chapter 1, we learn about a guy named Elkanah. Um, verse 2 tells us that he had two wives. One of them was Hannah, the other one was Penina. Now, Penina had children, but Hannah did not have any. Now, this next line, all right, before I say it, I want to preface this. I'm just the messenger, okay? Don't throw anything at me. Don't get up and leave. I'm just telling you what is going on during this time period, all right? Here it is. Um, the wife's chief, chief role, her role in life during this time in, in a relationship was to provide children. And Hannah was not living up to this. She was not able to have children. And it was considered a curse on Hannah. She would have been looked down upon um, by her own family, by her friends, the people around her. And it would have got to her, right? Spiritually depressed, um, disturbed, disgraced, emotionally. She was a wreck. What? What? Have you ever been anywhere like this? Have you ever had feelings like this? Where it causes you to do something. And instead of letting this rule her life and bring her down, she did something else. She prayed. 
Now, often I think this is what happens, and this is where we get to. When we pray, it's usually because we're so down and out. We've hit rock bottom when we've gone a little bit further, and this is where Hannah's at, and so she prays. And I think if she were here today, she would teach us in her prayers, and she would say, pray desperately. If you're going to pray, this is the lesson you can learn. Pray desperately. Chapter 1, verse 6, it says, And because the Lord had closed her womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and she would not eat. Now, if you read too fast, you miss stuff. So let's back up. And I don't know if you caught what I said right at the beginning of this. If you're looking at it and you went, what? It doesn't really say this. I just told you that Hannah was not able to have children. But look what it says there in the very first verse. It says, the Lord closed her womb. Now, I don't believe that, that God goes around and causes all the accidents that happen in our life. That's not the theory that I have and how that works. I don't think that God does this. There are some things that are just accidents. There are some things that Satan's working. There are things that I do that are stupid, and so that's why bad things happen to me. But on this one, it actually says that God had caused her not to have children. Now, it's bad enough that she couldn't have children, right, in her society. But finding out that God was the one that caused it, I think makes it even worse. Maybe you've been here and you've been so upset at God because you're thinking he's the one orchestrating some of this. He's the one allowing it. So you get frustrated and mad. You take things to God. Maybe she thought it was punishment. I don't believe that it was punishment. Because we're going to learn about it at the end of this. But it also says this. It went on for year after year. It wasn't just this week that she began praying. It wasn't just this month she wasn't able to get pregnant. Year after year. It went on long enough that her husband decided to marry someone else to have children. And they had children. That's got to be frustrating. To think that God did it. And then on top of it, her husband gets married. To, and then on top of it, her she has children, and it gets worse. She picks on her. She starts provoking. She starts pushing. And notice when it happens. Did you get, catch this as well? It happens when she's going to pray. It happens when she's going to the temple. It happens when she's going to church. Does Satan ever do that to you? Is Sunday morning sometimes your worst time? Um, getting up, getting around, family time, and stuff like that. I, Maybe you catch this, maybe you don't know this, but April and I, we don't, we don't, I don't think we ever have driven to church together. Um, we just, uh, I get here early, sometimes I stay late, April gets up and she's like a single mom on Sunday mornings throughout the years, getting the girls ready, all of them out the door in time to be, maybe that's our secret to 23 years of marriage. <laughs> I don't know, we should write that one down. Um, but here's what happens, I think Satan does this to us. On your way here, he's provoking you. On your way here, he's putting seeds in. On your way here, he's making you feel horrible. And it takes away from what God wants to do. And her husband doesn't help. If you would look at verse 8, this is what he says. What's the matter, honey? Why aren't you eating? Why be so sad just because you don't have children? And now here's the punchline. Guys, um, it's wise of us sometimes just to stop talking. Um, but he goes on one more sentence and he says, You have me. Isn't that better than having ten sons? 
Now the women are giggling, right? And the guys are like, oh, what's the big deal? What's he saying? Um, guys, it's like you're, when your wife's having a hard day, the last thing you want to say to her is, hey, babe, you got me. What else do you need? You know, we're going to be fine. Verse 10 explains her feelings about it. If you were to look there, it says, in bitterness of soul. In bitter, it, it does not say what that bitterness is towards. But she has some bitterness in her it could have been towards this other woman. It could have been towards her husband because of what he just said. It could have been towards the situation. It could have been towards God that she was carrying this around. Now, I think all of us at some point in our lives have carried some bitterness around in our hearts. The hard part comes when we carry it around too long. And the hard part comes when we sin out of that bitterness. I'm not sure that it's a bitterness that's a bad feeling. It's what you do with that. What does that drive you to do? How do you handle that? For Hannah, it caused her to pray. Through her bitterness, she prayed a desperate prayer. She had a desperate spirit in her saying, I can't do this any longer. There is something building up in her that she had to release and get through. And it caused her desperation in her heart and her soul to pray. I also think if she were here, she would tell us not just in desperation, but pray specifically. Be specific about this. Pray what you want. Verse 11, it says, And she made a vow, saying, O Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. It wasn't because she liked long hair. It wasn't because she um, was lazy and didn't want to cut her son's hair. She was praying specifically for a son, and she was praying specifically for a priest. She wanted her son to grow up to be a priest. Now, was Hannah bargaining with God? Have we done that before as well? God, you do this, and I'll do this. If you give me this, I'll make sure this can happen. I don't see it in her. I don't see it in her character and in her spirit. And we have to look at the heart when that happens. And we're not the judges of the heart. God is the only one that can judge our hearts. But I don't see her here being demanding or threatening to God. I see a pure heart in her. She could have said, give me a son so I can be happy. She could have said, give me a son so my husband will be happy. She could have said, give me a son so I can shut that other woman up, right? She could have gone about it many different ways. I heard about this older gentleman. He was shopping with his grandson. He was in the grocery store. They needed just a few things, but they were walking up and down the aisle, and this toddler was crying, crying, whining, sometimes screaming at the top of his lungs. And this older gentleman just walked up and down the aisle with his grandson, and he would whisper, and people heard him whispering, and he would say, we're almost done, Albert. Try not to cry, Albert. Life will get better, Albert. He came to the checkout stand and brushed the tears from the toddler, and he said it again. Try not to cry, Albert. We'll be home soon, Albert. And he's, as he was paying the cashier, a woman behind him noticed, and she said to him, Sir, I think it's wonderful and how sweet you are being, how sweet you are being to your grandson, Albert. And he said, Oh, no, his name's Billy. My name's Albert. <laughs> What do we do sometimes in our prayers? Is it for us? Is it for others? And, you know, I think a lot of times we'll pray, just, just God be with them. And we throw this umbrella prayer out there, God be with them. And guys, if we really knew and trusted who our God was, 
and trusted in the power that he had, we would already know that God's with them. I don't have to pray for God to be here this morning. I trust and believe that he is here. So pray specifically. What is it you need to pray for? For the church, pray for leadership here. Pray for God to to raise up some leaders in all areas of our ministries. Um, But pray for me as your pastor. Pray for our staff. Pray for temptation to stay away. Pray for another 23 years of marriage for me. Pray pray for your children. When you pray for your family and your children, find out what it is. Pray specifically and say, this is it, God. This is what I'm asking of you. Go there with him. Don't be afraid to pray specifically and don't just throw it out there for him. And I think if Hannah was here this morning, she would teach us then the next step is to pray passionately. Man, dig deep on this one. Not just desperate prayers and specific, but pray with some passion. Verse 12, it says, As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. So Eli thought she was drunk. You see, there's a cool Bible story here, right? There's, some, there's, oh, there's always something in Scripture. We all show passion in different ways. I think we, we all show, some of us clam up, some of us aren't um, very outgoing. Some of you, man, you wear your heart on your sleeve. And I think this is what she was doing. Now, Eli was the high priest. So he was the one overseeing the prayer service. He was the one that was making sure things were happening correctly. He was a high priest in the temple at the time. He was watching Hannah and she was praying. He observed her mouth, it says. But she wasn't worried about what other people thought of her. She wasn't worried what people were going to say if she raised her hands or if she prayed the way she was praying. This was between her and God. She was focused and it didn't matter what people thought. Eli had never seen this before. Either he thought she was passionate about what she was doing or she'd been drinking too much. Those are the options I think he came up with. So he came to her and said, hey, uh, would you stop getting drunk before you come to church? (laughs) It doesn't work well. She replied back, I haven't been drinking. I'm deeply troubled. I'm praying out of stress and out of grief. I believe that she had a chance then to tell her story to the priest. I can't have children. My my husband married another woman. She keeps picking on me. My husband doesn't know when to keep his mouth shut. Uh, I want to give this son back to God. Help me here. But I wonder if God is waiting for us to get that passionate about what we pray for. You know, God, if you want to, if it's all right with you, maybe you can do this thing over here. You know, we, we use the term as Christians, God, if it's in your will, and that's our, like our out. God, it, it, it's up to you. It's, it's your will. I'm, I'm out on this. God, if it's not too much to ask, if you can, if you can make some time um, to make this happen, God, would you, or do you let your heart break? You just let him have it. Pray to him with some passion and don't stop. Verse 12, it says, she kept on praying to the Lord. It wasn't just a quick popcorn prayer. She said it and moved on with her day. It was a repeated request. Year after year, I believe she prayed for this. And when you're passionate about it, you pray it through. I don't know if you've heard this term before, to pray it through. Pray until something happens. Now, here's, here's the tricky part. It might not be what you want to happen. 
You might not get your specific prayer answered. It might come through a different way. God might have a different plan to make it work, but you pray it through. You keep praying until something happens. And then when it does, you pray with confidence. I think if she were here today, she would teach us to pray confidently. Pray confidently. Verse 17, it says, Eli answered her, Well, then go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you've asked for. What a blessing from her priest, right? She said, Well, then may your servant find favor in your eyes. And she went on her way, and she ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. That's confidence. I don't believe she stopped praying for that, but I believe that her prayers changed her attitude, and she got up, and she ate The comment from her priest had to feel good, a huge blessing, and her attitude changed. After spending time in prayer, she was no longer sad. She probably still had the same concerns, and I believe she kept on praying, but she left it at God's feet, and then she experienced peace and confidence. And I don't believe it was in her prayers. I don't believe we should have confidence in our prayers. I don't even believe it's in the comment of Eli, her her minister, It was in the confidence of her God and the fact that when she prayed to God, she believed that he would answer. Now, for you, all right, practically, this doesn't mean you should go out and max out your credit cards and buy a new car because you've been praying for God to bless you financially. All right, don't go there. Don't think that I said it that way. But it's to say that when I pray to God, I I leave with peace and confidence, knowing that God can do what he says he's going to do. And again, your prayers may not get answered the way Hannah's prayers got answered. God might have different plans for you, but God has plans. And God is working his plans. And I know that when I pray to him, I can leave with confidence, knowing he is the God who can answer. And then no matter what you pray for, no matter what God has planned, the last thing is to pray thankfully. I think she would teach us to pray with thanksgiving. Pray thankfully. Verse 27, she said, I prayed for this child and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life, he will be given over to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. Now, there's times in scripture that you can read a verse and it can be misleading. Where you you read it and it's not... It doesn't mean what it actually says if you were to take it at face value. You know, does it really mean that or do we have to interpret that? Well, if you were reading this and you thought that she had this child, and then she brought it back to the temple and handed the child off to the priest, you'd be exactly right. That's exactly what she did. She had this child, and it says that this is what she did, and that's what she did. After the baby was old enough, which in this case probably was between three and six years at some point, she brought this child, Samuel, back to the temple, and she gave him to Eli, the priest. She was true to her word. She meant what she said. And this was not just some baby dedication where she promises to raise him so that someday he'll be a priest. This was the ultimate dedication. She literally gave him back to God. It's a side announcement from your pastor here. Please don't do that here. All right. We're good. Um, We're looking for extra people, all right, to help with our um, children's ministry always. But that would be 24-7. We're not ready for that. It does. I think we need to praise the giver. So I'm going to ask you to do this. This is how we're going to close this time out. We're going to stand and we're going to sing. And when you sing, I want you to think about God, the giver, not the gifts. And let's praise him and be thankful for what he has done. Let's stand together and sing.